0: You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, let's get into the Word this morning. You ready for some Word? but let's get into this. This is week number four in our series called Be Transformed. Turn to somebody close by to you and say, you need to be transformed. How many of you know we're a work in progress and we all need to change? Unless you have arrived like me, you know, no, I'm just kidding. We all are are in the progress or process of being changed rather and so the way that we're going to do that is we're going to get into the Word and we're going to find out. The Bible tells us how to experience life change, how to experience growth and transformation in our lives. So if you'd like to follow along, let's look at our foundation scripture found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 in the New Living Bible. It says this, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for uh, for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So let me look at this phrase that I've highlighted on the screen for you. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, a lot of times we want to address life change by addressing external things, addressing things out here. You know, a lot of times we say, if my spouse would only change, I could change. Or, you know, if my children would change, I would change. No, and sometimes we think if we change our environment, well, I just need a new job. If I get a new job, then I'll experience change. Well, the Bible's very clear. The Bible tells us that if we want to experience change in our lives, then what we have to do is we have to begin to change the way we think. The word for transform in this scripture is the Greek word "metamorpho," which we get the our word "metamorphosis." And if you, again, have mentioned or in the past where we've looked at, uh, you know, the simple process. Uh, I say it's simple, but the process in nature where a caterpillar, you know, spins a cocoon and then eventually comes out a butterfly. That is what that word "metamorphosis" is. And so that's what God is wanting to do with each and every one of us. He wants to conform us and transform us into the image of, of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me cover some things that we've talked about in, a pa- in the past, and especially in case you missed last week's online message, let's look at some high points. These things won't necessarily uh, be in your notes, but it's good to look at it. And, and th- that is this. The Bible teaches that the way that we change is by an inward transformation that takes place, and that happens as we change the way that we think. Now, it's not just thinking any old way. You've got to change the way that you think and cause your thinking to come in line with God's way of thinking, with the Word of God. So how does this transformation take place? Well, it's a process, and if you look at Romans 12, 2 in the King James Bible, uh, the old King James says that it's a process of renewing your mind. So the New Living says changing the way you think The Old King James says, renewing your mind is talking about the same thing. And as we said to you last week, if you uh, have ever had the privilege of buying new furniture, anybody ever bought any new furniture? Okay, so work with me in this uh, little illustration. If you were buying all new furniture for your home, you wouldn't uh, go to the furniture store, order all the furniture, And then set up a delivery date and then have them deliver the furniture and just cram it in there with all your old stuff. What you would do is you would take all of your old stuff out and either have a garage sale or maybe take it to Goodwill or something like that. And then you would replace it with the new. And so that's essentially the way things work in transforming our thinking. It's not a matter of trying to cram God's way of thinking on top of the way we've always thought No, here's what you have to do, and and I encourage you, don't have a garage sale in your mind. Why don't you just take it out back and burn it, okay? Take all that old furniture out of your thinking and just get rid of it and replace it with the way that God thinks. So last week we spent some time looking at how your thinking process takes place. And the Bible even goes into detail in this. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. And I'm going to be reading from the Old King James. And Paul tells us this. He said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or natural or fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So Paul, in writing this letter to the church at Corinth by the Holy Spirit, breaks down what our thinking process is comprised of, what makes up our thought processes. And so he gives us in these verses three levels of mental activity that we all participate in. And so, I'm going to break these down for you, except Paul in these scriptures went from the greatest level to the smallest. I want to start at the smallest or smallest and go to the greatest. So, if you're taking notes, write this down. The first level of mental activity are thoughts, Paul said. He said, we take thoughts captive. And so, what you have to be involved in is the selection of your thoughts. Let me show you a scripture in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31, Jesus said this, therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be closed? So Jesus clearly tells us that the option of taking or rejecting a thought rests on us. It's our choice. You know, I think some people have the misunderstanding that you just have to let your mind just kind of go wherever it wants to go. Go down every rabbit trail it wants to go down. Think about everything that it wants to think about, and that really is not true. So look at this with me. You determine the thoughts that you take or reject. And I'm going to tell you how to do that in just a moment. But the way that you take a thought is by attaching words to it. You say it. Once you have said that thought, that thought is now yours and what you've done is you've equipped it, you've given it power to begin to work in your life. Okay, so again, you have the choice as to what you think about. The way you take that thought is by attaching words to it. Now, I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 says in the Passion Translation. In the latter part of the the verse, it says this, we capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one or to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what you kind of just work with me here in my imagination, I love history, I love things pertaining to history, and so uh, particularly since I've had uh, both my uh, grandfathers fought in World War II Uh, You know, I I study a lot of World War II history, and the first thing when I see this verse that comes into mind is when the allies went into either Europe or into Japan, and, of course, we won in both of those fronts, and when the enemy decided that they were ready to surrender, they laid down their weapons, they set aside their power, and what what I picture in my mind is the allied soldiers standing around with all these POWs that they had captured. And if you look at those pictures, you begin to understand that the soldiers that were captured are powerless. They no longer possess any power or authority to do any damage or to wage warfare. Why? Because the, the uh, victorious armies defeated them. Okay, so what Paul is telling us is, and what this particular translation says is this is the way that we should treat thoughts that are contrary to the word of God, contrary to the way God thinks, is we need to take them prisoner. So how do we do that? How do we overcome thoughts that are contrary? And that's this, the way you capture thoughts and make them surrender to the word of God is to contradict that thought with the word on your lips. Okay, so if you get a thought in your mind that says we're not going to make it this time, you know, that, that uh, surely victory is not going to be yours or, or maybe, you know, they're, they're laying off people at work and I bet you're going to be next. I bet that pink slip is going to show up tomorrow when you go to work. Well, that might be true, but the thing that you have to understand is what that thought is trying to do is produce fear and worry. And so what you have to do is you have to contradict that thought by saying something like this. Well, if that does happen, my God is still more than enough to take care of me and to supply my every need. And so what you have just done, when you put the word of God on your lips, you have taken all of the power and authority from that thought to be able to... uh, take up residence in your thinking and to cause you hurt and harm. And so the first level of mental activity is the, the selection of thoughts and then taking thoughts that are contrary to the word of God and bringing them into captivity. You know, you'll have to forgive me, but uh, anybody a fan of Andy Griffith, the show, okay? You remember uh, uh, when, when Gomer got deputized? And he went around hollering, citizens arrest, citizens arrest. Okay, that's what comes into my mind when I'm thinking about capturing thoughts. Okay, just like I said, just work with me here. All right, so the second level of mental activity, if you want to write this down, are imaginations. The second level that Paul gives us are imaginations. So here's what happens. If a thought enters your mind... Of course, you don't think in words. You think in pictures. So if I say to you the word dog, you don't think letters, D-O-G. You don't see in your mind the word dog. What you do is you immediately go to a picture of a dog that you currently have or maybe a dog that you grew up with or some, some experience that you had with the dog. And so you think And you see in pictures. So Paul said this: that the thoughts that you don't take captive, if you let them dwell there, they will build pictures in your mind of your life being lived out according to that thought. Let me ask you a question, and and you don't necessarily have to raise your hand with this, but has anybody ever had a situation to where you knew you had a difficult conversation to have with somebody? And so you're thinking about that conversation ahead of time and you let it play out in your thinking, well, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to sit them down and we're going to have this conversation and I'm going to say this, and then they're probably going to respond this way. And then when they respond this way, I'm going to come back with this. And before you, you realize it, you've got the whole thing played out in your mind, in your imagination, Now, often we attribute imagination to children, but imagination is something we all possess and we all use. Now, God's purpose for giving you an imagination is to use it to build pictures in your mind of what he wants for your life. So, yeah, you might have to have that difficult conversation but why not imagine it this way? God tells us to walk in love, forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Why don't you have it this way where if they say this to you, then I'm gonna I'm just gonna love them and speak in love. The Bible says in Proverbs that a soft answer turns away wrath. So I'm not gonna lose it. I'm not gonna get upset. I'm gonna speak to them in a in a loving tone and, and minister to them and so forth and so on. And start causing your imagination to build your life going that way instead of in the negative way. Now, I want to show you a verse in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 6, which is very, very powerful. There's other scriptures in the Bible that talk about this. But this is a, a, a landmark scripture, if you will, when the, the, the people of creation, this is a few generations after Adam and Eve. This is before the flood that the Bible says that the people got together and said, hey, let's build a tower to heaven. You might have heard of it called the Tower of Babel. And so they decided to build this tower and all of the people in the earth were unified. They all thought the same thing. They all spoke the same thing. Matter of fact, they spoke the same language and so forth and so on. And the Bible says that God came down to look and see what what people were up to. And in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 6, it says this, and the Lord said, behold, they are all one people and they all have one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And then notice this last phrase in the verse, and now nothing they have imagined they can do will be impossible for them. Now that's powerful when you think that people, God created humanity with the ability to, To be able to imagine things in our life and if we will, of course, and and we, we need to do it God's way, but if we will follow what God's plan is, we can use our imagination to build something and God said it will, it's impossible for it not to happen. That's awesome when you think about it. So of course, as you know, the result of all of this was he confounded their languages and You know, it's interesting to me that the way God stopped this from taking place is he stopped them from being able to speak the same thing and think the same thing. In other words, he messed up their communication. So what that tells me is that if you want to uh, proliferate your imagination and your thought processes, the way that you're going to do it is through your words, through your communication. Are you listening to me? Okay, so let me give you some things real quick. Again, these are all in the notes on the website from the last couple of weeks, and I just want to hit on these highlights. So let me give this to you, talking about imagination. Your imagination is your ability, now this is a God-given ability, to see with your heart what you can't see with your eyes. And I love that definition. So let's say, uh, you know, you... uh, are, are experiencing some sickness and disease in your life and you find out from the word of God that it's God's plan for you to be healed, that Jesus bought and paid for your healing, then what God does is gives us the ability to see ahead of time what his plan is for our lives before we ever see it with our natural eyes. You do understand you have two sets of ears and eyes. Okay, somebody said, well, that sounds weird. No, let me help you. All right. Jesus often in his teaching would say, If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, everybody standing there had these on the side of their heads. So he wasn't talking about hearing with these ears, he's talking about hearing with the ears of your heart. And so again, your imagination is your ability that God has given each and every one of us to see with your heart what you can't see with your natural eyes. Whether you know it or not, your imagination is dictating how your life goes. How you see your life being lived out, I promise you, based on the authority of God's word, your life is following that direction. And I could go into many scriptures and show you that. I just don't have time to do it today. Here's the next thing. You get to choose whether your imagination is positive, which is hope, or negative, which becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So again, um, you know, it amazes me, and I thought about this uh, while I was out of town, that there are people, and and, you know, I've been around a couple of people that were like this. You ever heard anybody say this? Well, you know, my, my grandparents had heart trouble. My daddy had heart trouble. And you know, both my grandpa and my daddy Neither one of them lived to be 60 years old. And I guess that's what's going to happen to me. And so what happens is they begin to build that into their thinking, into their heart, and guess what? Guess what happens? Before they turn 60, they're having a funeral for them. Why is that? Because they allowed that thinking to be able to come in and to get down in their heart to where they began to believe those things. Okay, so it's very, very powerful. Then here's the last thing. The way that you change your imagination is to meditate or imagine God's Word. The the Old Testament word that is used for meditation is actually the, the Hebrew word, which can be translated, imagine. So what God's plan is for us when he tells us to meditate on the Word of God is not to sit with our legs crossed going, hmm, bubblegum. okay? No, his plan is for us to take time and take the Word of God and imagine our lives being lived out according to the Word. So if the Bible says, Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to give you peace, not as the world gives, give I unto you, And and then another verse says that it's peace that passes all understanding. If you have a tendency to lean over on the anxious, worried, agitated side, why don't you begin taking some time and imagining yourself experiencing the peace that only God can give you? Okay, begin to see your life being lived out that way. So we have thoughts, the selection of thoughts, Paul tells us the next one is imaginations. And then number three, write this down, please. And those are strongholds, strongholds. Now, stronghold might not be a word we use in our vocabulary a lot. The actual Greek word that's translated stronghold in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 actually means a fortification, a fortress, if you will. And so what, what Paul says is that if you don't, take thoughts and judge them and measure them according to the standard of God's Word and you begin to build imaginations on those thoughts, then what happens is it will begin to build a fortification on the inside of you. And so what the enemy's plan is is to get you to develop wrong uh, strongholds and and I'm going to give you another word for that in just a second. But what God wants to do is to build strongholds in you that are based on his word, okay? So uh, another example of this, uh, you know, how many of you, and I used this last week, but but I'll use it again. You know, my mother, who's sitting right back there, uh, she did a really good job. I've known her all my life. And uh, she did a really good job of raising me. She taught me, and, of course, my dad at the time, he, both of them taught me that, uh, you know, before I go to bed every night, I'm supposed to brush my teeth, okay? So I learned. And, of course, I had to learn how to put the toothpaste on the toothbrush. I had to learn what to do and, you know, where to go with the toothbrush and all of that. And listen, by the way, this was before the day they had bubblegum-flavored toothpaste and all the fun stuff kids have today, All right. No, this was just where it was just plain old toothpaste. And so I had to learn how to brush my teeth. And so, you know, as time progressed and I got a little bit older, you know, when it got time to go to bed, all they had to say was go in there and brush your teeth and get ready for bed. Put your PJs on. And so, uh, you know, I'd go in and put my PJs on and then brush my teeth. And, of course, sometimes I didn't want to go to bed, so I dilly-dallied around. And you know how that goes. And so, uh, so that progressed. And so now... You know, now that I'm 32, wow, got a big (laughs) laugh. I'm just kidding. I turned 60 this year, all right? And my mother does not have to call me every night and say, Brad, did you brush your teeth before you went to bed? No, it's a habit for me. It's something that I do without having to really even think about it. Well, that's exactly what a stronghold is. A stronghold becomes a habit for us and a habit, let me give you a definition. A habit is a pattern of behavior that we do enough that it becomes almost involuntary. And you know, I can be brushing my teeth and thinking about all kinds of stuff at the same time. I can get dressed and be thinking about all kinds of stuff. I don't have to anymore make it a conscious effort to think, okay, I put this much toothpaste on the toothbrush and I brush my teeth this way. I I don't, you know, I, I don't have to really think anymore about where the buttons go on my shirt and all that type of thing. No, I've done it enough to where it has become a habit for me. Well, let's, let, let me just for the sake of conversation put this over in the negative. We all have negative habits in our lives and I can assure you that that habit did not start out as a habit. It started out as a thought that led to some imaginations and then eventually after you dwelt on it long enough it became a stronghold. It became a habit for you. And so what we want to do is we want to learn in our lives, how can I eliminate habits? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I think all of us have something in our lives that we know needs to be changed. Maybe you're hot-tempered. Maybe, uh, you know, you fly off the handle real easy. Well, that's a habit that you have built into your life. Maybe, you know, there are other habits that we have acquired. And so the good news is that habit can be destroyed. Amen. All right. So let's begin to get into this. And I, I'm going to be super duper practical with you today as I try to be. So let's look at Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 again. We read this earlier. But notice this. Paul said this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not natural, they're not fleshly. So let me say this to you: if you have a habit in your life, yes, and I know there are times when some people are successful at kicking habits in the natural, using their just their sheer willpower. But I'm gonna say to you and submit to you that there is a possibility, there are some habits in our lives that you do not have enough willpower to overcome. You're going to have to have some spiritual help. Okay? All right? So what Paul tells us is the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. Hallelujah. So the the weapons that you get to use in pulling down strongholds are not natural, and they are mighty in God. They are powerful weapons, all right? So again, what I want us to, to learn and glean from this is, that, is this principle. You and I don't have to rely on natural means to overcome stuff that needs to be changed in our lives. Praise God. We have help. We have weapons that are not natural. We have weapons that are mighty in God to the destruction of those habits, of those strongholds, all right? Now, let me give you another verse. We mentioned this last week, but I wanted to include it again, and that's found in Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27. Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27 now let me just again give you a little bit of background as to what's going on here. The Assyrian army has been harassing Israel over and over and over again for years. And so the people, And well really they had opened the door to this through their disobedience, but they repented and so God sent Isaiah the prophet to declare something to them and to basically say this to them, that the, the, the bondage that the Assyrians have placed you under will be broken, all right? So let's see how this happens. In verse 27, Isaiah said this by the Holy Spirit, and it shall come to pass in that day that his, talking about the Assyrian people, that burden shall be taken from off your shoulder and his yoke from off your neck. Now, Anybody ever seen an old school yoke of oxen? Okay. Maybe I should have included a picture, but you, you, oxen were very powerful uh, animals that they would use to plow and so forth. And to keep them together and unified, they would put a yoke across. It was a big wooden piece that would go across their necks and would keep them together. And so what the, what the Lord is saying is that the burden, uh, the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. So habits and strongholds are like wearing that yoke that, that binds you to whatever it is that that habit consists of. And so what God says is this, it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Let me say it to you another way. The the habit, the stronghold, shall be destroyed because of the power of God. Now, what's interesting is in the Hebrew language, the word anointing there is actually oil. So, and as you know, oil in the Old Testament was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So what God's desire is is to make power available to each and every one of us so that bondages, habits, strongholds can be broken off of our lives. And he will do that. So my point is this, if you are facing things that you know need to be broken in your life, you are not uh, responsible to have to take care of that of your own volition, of your own power, and of your own ability. God will help you. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. So here's where we get practical. So how do we do this? Okay, how do we experience freedom? How do we experience freedom? Uh, this this habit, this bondage from be, uh, be, being removed off our lives. How do we see these things broken? So let me give you some steps. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's number one. Be willing to identify the stronghold or the habit or whatever it might be. Be willing to identify it. I'll say this to you. I did not include this in your notes, but you will never be able to overcome what you do not acknowledge. And man, we're bad about this. Our culture, especially today, it's everybody else's fault that we have the experiences that we have. We're not willing to say, no, I own that. That is something that is happening in my life. And so you need to be willing to identify the stronghold. Let me show you a scripture in Proverbs 28 and verse 13 from the Good News Bible. It says this, you will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Confess them and give them up, then God will show mercy to you. So listen, God can't help you get free from habits and strongholds until you are willing to say, that is a stronghold in my life. Okay? So once you acknowledge that, that is the first thing, is to understand this is something that needs to be changed in my life. Again, if you try and sweep it under the rug and pretend that it doesn't exist, you will never get free from that thing. All right? Here's number two, and this one's very, very important, and that is this, deal with one habit, one stronghold at a time. Deal with one. And I will say this to you. Deal with the one that seems to be the most prevalent in your life, the biggest or strongest. Okay? Deal with that one. Again, because, you know, listen, we all have things that we're, we're, we're dealing with in our lives, but I think you in your own heart know what seems to be the greatest. If you don't, ask the Holy Spirit. He'll show you. What seems to be the one that is causing the biggest issue? Now, here's why I say deal with them one at a time. A couple of reasons. Here's the first one. The enemy, the devil, is skilled at distraction. Okay? And uh, anybody ever had a dog that liked to chase its tail? Okay? I think probably we've all seen that. Well, what the devil likes to do is to get us as believers chasing our tail. Because all you do is run around in a circle and you never accomplish anything. You know, I've never seen one dog catch their tail. Have you? No, they they just keep running around and around. All right. So what the devil does is he tries to start multiple fires in your life so that You And listen, we have a tendency to be focused on one at a time. So what he does is he gets you busy over here fighting this fire, fighting this issue. And about the time you think you're catching an upper hand, he'll start one over here. And get you distracted from what's going over there to get you fighting over here. And then about the time you've got, you know, it's kind of like the old Chinese plate thing. You don't see that much anymore, but I remember on the old variety shows, you'd see those folks that would have this long sticks and they'd be juggling the plates on the the top of the stick. Am I that old? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay. Somebody say, yes, I know what you're talking about. All right. And see, what would happen is, is they'd get multiple sticks going at one time with plates spinning on top of those sticks And, and, you know, you were just thinking, at any moment, those plates are going to fall. Well, that's what the devil likes to do with you and me, to get us juggling so many things that we never overcome one thing. We're always fighting multiple things on multiple fronts. And so what God wants us to do is to get focused on one thing Let him reveal to you what that one thing is. And here's why. Listen to me carefully. Because what you don't understand that God knows is the impact that this thing might be having in your life in multiple areas. In other words, if you go after this one thing, you will be amazed at the overarching effect that it'll have over your entire life. And God knows that. So deal with one stronghold at a time. Don't try and deal with multiple issues and habits at the same time, okay? Are you tracking with me? All right, here's number three, and that is this. Fast and deny the desires of the flesh to, and I'm hesitant to use this word, but it's the only word that I can think of to amplify the anointing. Now, let me talk to you about fasting for just a moment. Fasting does nothing to move God. Fasting does nothing to move God, although the Bible teaches us to fast. All throughout the Old Testament, fasting is something that, that took place. And, and Jesus even said in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, and when you fast, don't be like the religious leaders who want everybody to know that they're fasting and so forth and so on. So fasting is something that ought to be a part of our life. And fasting isn't always about going without food. Fasting is this, denying your flesh something it wants. Okay? So let's say your flesh is all the time craving chocolate cake. Well, you might need to fast chocolate cake and say no to your flesh. Okay, you know, there might be a a multitude of things. Now, here's what I want you to understand about fasting. Fasting does not move God. Fasting moves you closer to God. Now here, let me say this to you. If, while you're fasting, you do what's necessary to draw near to God. In other words, if you're fasting and and, and at the same time you're fasting when when you would be eating that meal or doing this activity, whatever it might be, if you're not replacing that with with prayer or Bible reading, can I tell you what you're doing? You're going on a diet, (laughs) okay? And there's nothing wrong with going on a diet, but call it what it is, okay? A fast that God wants us to, to do is where we replace whatever it is that our flesh is craving And we replace it with some type of spiritual activity. Either we read the Bible or we spend time in prayer. You know, God might deal with some of us to fast social media. Well, hallelujah. I'll just, uh, okay. You know, let's say if you have a tendency to spend 20 minutes a day looking at social media. and, And that's not sinful. It becomes sinful when God has to tell you you're doing it too much, okay. But you decide, I'm going to fast social media. Well, here's what you do. That period of time that you would normally spend in social media, spend it either in prayer, fellowshipping with the Lord, or reading the Word. Replace it with some type of spiritual activity that draws you near to God. So again, fasting does nothing for God. It does everything for you. It doesn't move God closer to you. It moves you closer to God. So, in doing that, what happens is, how many of you know the closer you get to the sun, the warmer you get? Okay? Well, the closer you get to God, the closer you get, or the power of God becomes amplified in your life. Okay? So, the power of God becomes stronger. And you need the power of God in order to overcome. That stronghold. Let me show you a promise. By the way, <clears throat> a homework assignment for you, uh, especially if you, if you desire or you feel the Lord leading you to spend some time in fasting and prayer, is read Isaiah 58, the 58th chapter of Isaiah, where, where the Lord, through Isaiah, talks a great deal about fasting. But there's a promise that God makes in Isaiah 58, verse 8, that is a result of fasting. Let me show you this, and I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. The Bible says this, then shall your light, so after you've completed the fast, then shall your light break forth like the morning, and your healing, your restoration, and the power of a new life shall spring forth speedily. Everybody say speedily. Speedily. You know, sometimes we want God to hurry up but God is saying, if you'll draw near to me, hurry up will take place as a result of that. Your righteousness, your rightness, your justice, and your right relationship with God shall go before you, conducting you to peace and prosperity, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. I'm going to sum that up in one word, and that is this, breakthrough. Breakthrough, okay? So a promise that that God makes when we spend time in prayer and fasting is that it will cause the power of God to become more real to you so that you experience a breakthrough in that area of your life. Now, let me give you a little hint as to what you might need to look for as to what to fast, okay? And only you know this, but let me ask you a question. What triggers that fleshly desire, okay? Because a lot of times we deal with the fruit and not the root. Okay, that was pretty good right there. Y'all just missed a great opportunity to cough, say amen, something, okay? What we have a tendency to do is deal with the results and not what's causing the results. So find out what is triggering. In other words, let me say it to you this way. If you have a tendency to, Get mad real easy? Find out why. Why do you get mad? Why do you fly off the handle? Why does it take something very, very small to push you over the edge? What triggers that? That might be the thing you need to fast. Okay, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right, let's look at number four. So after you have identified the stronghold, you're dealing with one at a time, you set up a time and and you're fasting those desires. Number four, pray and ask the Lord for help and he will answer. A lot of times we don't get the Lord's help because we never ask for it. And God is the perfect gentleman. He will not just kick his way into your life. He must be invited. So the way that you ask God for help is to simply ask him, Lord, I need your help. It might be as simple as something like that. Lord, I need you to help me. Isaiah 58 verse 9, the verse right after the one we just read, in the first part of that verse says this, after you've fasted, after you've amplified the anointing, then you shall call and the Lord will Answer. Notice he didn't say he might. He might if he feels okay, if he's not mad at you that day. No. Then you shall call. The Lord will answer. You shall cry and he shall say, here I am. Amen. So again, a lot of times we don't get the Lord's help because we simply do not ask. Here's number five. And that is this, when you're facing that situation, when those thoughts are coming and, and you feel that, that habit or whatever it might be trying to rise up in your life, listen, there must be some pushback in the word from you. In other words, there must be some word pushback from you. What do I mean by that? Well, the best example is the Lord Jesus if you've ever read in Luke chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness where he was presented by the devil, three areas that he was tempted in, it doesn't say one time that Jesus ignored it, pretended like it didn't exist, pretended like, he, you know, he needed to do something else. No, the Bible says that he answered every time. Now, let me show you in verse 4, Luke 4, verse 4, And Jesus answered the devil, saying. Notice he didn't say the Lord answered the devil thinking. He said something. He opened his mouth and said something. So when you're facing temptation, when you're facing things, thoughts, and tendencies that lead towards that habit, you're going to have to open your mouth and say something. Something. Now, Jesus didn't just say anything. He spoke the word. Everything in those three temptations that Jesus came back with were direct quotes from the Old Testament. This one right here, Jesus answered him saying, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. This is when the devil came to him and said, Hey, if you're really the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, No, I don't have to. Because God said that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's a quote straight from Deuteronomy. So what am I saying? You're going to have to spend some time in the word, find out some things to put in your mouth, and then speak to it. When that temptation is presented to you, speak to it. Turn to somebody and say, you need to talk to it. And I I love how the scripture articulates this. Notice it says, Jesus answered him. A lot of times you and I don't see victory because we don't answer stuff. Okay, let me show you another verse, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. You might be familiar with this. This is where Paul says in, in Ephesians where he talks about the armor of God. Okay, he talks about a particular piece of armor and he says, and take the helmet of salvation. This is verse 17 and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, you have to kind of dive into the, the original language, the Greek language, to kind of understand the meaning of this. The word sword there is not the, the sword like we imagine, you know, the one that's about this long with a big old handle and it takes about two hands to, to, to use it. The Roman soldiers had those kind of swords, But this little sword that he's talking about here is actually the Greek word makaira, and it is a short dagger that the Roman soldiers carried on their sides right here, and it had a two-edged blade on it and was surgically sharp. And what it was designed for is when a Roman soldier got into combat, most of the time when they were in hand-to-hand combat, they didn't use those big old swords. It was too big and too heavy. So what they would do is they got into hand-to-hand combat. They needed something that could penetrate their enemy's armor. Well, how many of you know that there's gaps in that armor where, you know, you can't have it just all one piece where they look like the tin man. No, there there are pieces, there are gaps where flesh is exposed. Well, with that short little machaira that the Roman soldiers would use, they could take it and strategically plunge it into their enemy, and it was so sharp and so precise that it could render an enemy uh, helpless to where they would be unable to continue to fight. And so what Paul is telling us is, take that little sword of the Spirit. Then he tells you what it is, which is the Word of God. Now, that little short sword is very specific and very to the point. So listen, let me use an illustration. If you're facing a temptation in an area or you're trying to, to work with God to try and destroy a stronghold in your life and the temptation or the thoughts are presented to you pertaining to that particular stronghold, you don't need to quote John 3.16 Are you listening to me? In other words, you don't need to say, well, God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or, quote from John 11, Jesus wept. No, you need to find something that is specific and particular to that area that you're dealing with and keep it in your arsenal. And when that thing is presented to you, take that little dagger, that machaira, and jam it into the enemy of those thoughts or whatever it might be that's coming against you and use it on purpose. Now, there's one other thing about this verse. <clears throat> when it says, which is the word of God, the phrase word of God there is actually the Greek word rhema. Rhema, R-H-E-M-A, which means this, a divinely inspired and revealed Word from God. What that means is this ask God to help you find some scriptures in the Bible that pertain to that issue and let Him reveal those things to you. And when it gets down here in your heart, that becomes a revealed word. And I promise you, there is anointing and power present in that word to destroy that bondage. Amen. All right, here's the last thing number six. Don't try and be a hero, get help if you need it. You know, we were having a conversation before church this morning, and I think this is something that uh, unfortunately has crept into the lives of a lot of believers, and that is this, I don't need church. Okay? And, And I know I'm preaching to the choir when I say this, but the Bible teaches, the New Testament teaches otherwise. You need church. Now, what do I mean by that? If God's called you here, you need this church, but you need to find where God has called you to be and you need to be attached and in a place with other people that believe just like you believe, that preach the word of God, that teach the word of God so that you can be connected with other believers. Let me say this to you. It is never God's will for you to deal with something in your life on your own, because sometimes it's more than we can handle. But see, here's the devil's um, strategy: is to isolate you and get you to think. Number one, nobody in the world has ever experienced what you what you're experiencing. Nobody, you're weird. And nobody wants to hear about your problems. Nobody wants to help you. So you're just going to have to deal with this all on your own. And unfortunately, culture today is accommodating that. And I'll tell you what really helped that was the whole COVID thing. Okay? Because people learned how to do things alone. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you need to be alone. But when it comes to spiritual matters, you do not need to be alone. Let me show you some scriptures. Let's look at what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 through 20. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven again. Do me a favor and underline or draw a circle around that word again. He said, again, I say to you, meaning I've told you this before. And there were very few scriptures in Jesus' teaching where he began it with, again, I say to you, this is one of them. In other words, this is something that he taught a lot to his disciples. So he said, again, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound, or assuredly, rather, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if one of you, huh, If two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And then he expands it. In verse 20 he says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Let me ask you a question. Just use your noggin for a second. If you're facing a situation... And you get around two or three other people that believe like you do, can agree with you based on the Word of God, and Jesus has promised that He'll be right here in the midst of you. Do you think it's possible that that bondage can stick around if Jesus shows up? The answer is no. Okay? So you need to understand there is power made available when believers come together versus when a believer is by themselves. all right? Well, let me convince you maybe with one other portion of scripture. Last verses, let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine through 12, and I, I love the New Living Translation of this. Two people are better off than one. Well, I could just drop the mic, we could say a prayer and go home, and that's it. Two people are better off than one For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And I can identify with that. And maybe you can too. You've been in a situation where you needed help. And because of pride or whatever, you didn't reach out for help. It makes it tough. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? Number 12, or verse 12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. Steve, come up here while I'm reading this, please. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back. Three are even better for a triple braided cord cannot be broken. Now, Here's the thing. I know Steve's a little fella like me. And so think about what can happen when an enemy approaches he and I and we're back to back. If they come this way, I'm going to see them. If they come that way, he's going to see them. And then we can turn and any way we turn, we're protected. But then he goes on to say, a threefold cord is not easily broken. Who do you think is the third one that's here in the middle of he and I? Yes, the Lord is the third part of that cord and that cannot be broken. So what God is telling us is if you're dealing with something in your life, get some help. Now, listen, thank you, brother. I'm, and I'm not, I'm not insinuating that you find just anybody that you can't trust with your business and all that kind of stuff. I think all of us probably have one or two or three people in our lives that we trust, that we can team up together with, and we can share what's going on, and they are mature enough and strong spiritually enough to to help us overcome. I I tell you, uh, married couples, you got it made, okay? Because you have a partner right there if you can learn how to get in agreement with each other and stand with one another, I promise you there is nothing that the enemy can bring against you that you cannot overcome. Amen? But, you know, for those that may not be married, guess what? There are folks who are mature, who love God, and would love the privilege of praying and agreeing with you and standing in faith with you. You know, I love the scripture in Proverbs that says, a righteous man may fall seven times, but... He will get up. How many of you know sometimes it's easier to get up when you got a hand extended toward you, helping you get up? All right. so, I know this has been very practical. All of these things, if you will begin to put them in motion in your life, they will help you begin to destroy and pull down those strongholds, those habits. Now, next week, I'm going to show you what to do in the positive in order to To build good strongholds, godly strongholds, you know, scriptural strongholds. That's the plan of God for each and every one of us, is that we have those things, those fortifications in our life based on the Word of God. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church Podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.